Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, the show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, your best friend. Big, exciting, special for you today. We've got... For the third time, John Gierock, legendary fish writer, with his brand new book, All the Time in the World. So sit back, relax, enjoy the interview, and especially enjoy the crappie hippie fanboying the whole time. It's a delight, a delight. Here we go. Who we have on here today is one of the leading writers, outdoor writers in the history of the game. Um, I discovered this gentleman listening to the fish nerds the first time he was on talking about his book, A Fly Rod of Your Own. Uh, I got the book. I read it. I fell in love with it. Uh, I love the writing. And the next thing you know, I am a super fan of this gentleman. He writes in a way that speaks to so many people, uh, unpretentious, uh, effective. Uh, well, there's blurbs aplenty that describe his writing, and it is wonderful. It suits me so well. It's, it's um, I don't know, I'm tongue-tied right now because I'm a little... I'm a little awestruck. I'm a little, little fan struck. But uh, welcome to the podcast, writer of now 21 books, John Gearock. Welcome, sir. Happy to be here. Well, welcome back. We should be saying third time right. on the podcast. So long time listeners right. will be following along, and we're we're so excited about your new book. Uh, I got this in the mail a week ago, and it went right to where it belongs in the back of my toilet because the way I read John Gearock books is I pick them up. And I read them one essay at a time, and I don't read them in order. That's that's how I roll with these books. Well, I'm glad I uh, worked so hard to get them in the right order then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually do read them cover to cover. And that was maybe leads, you know, leads to one of my first observations, first points, uh, is that I noticed that, yeah, they do have a, an order. They have a kind of a, a coherence uh, um somewhat chronological i mean there's a there's a thread that runs through there but i did notice in this book that that yes the the essays are written uh and then arranged because it seems like your the last essay in this book was one of the first things you had written um you want to describe your process there how you put this all together over this you kind of have a three-year period where you're working on these things and and how you um, formulate the essays and then, yeah, how you work hard to arrange them um, and give us this um, somewhat chronological coherence. But it's also very uh, legit to just pick them up and start wherever as well. Well, yeah, I mean, most of what's in the, my books is uh, they're initially written as standalone magazine stories. And um, the I wish I wish there was more logic to the process so I could uh, sound smarter than I am. But the fact is, I I, I put together a bunch of essays. Um, I find a place that looks like a good place to start, um, and then I just start stacking essays. Well, where it is okay? Here's the first one what's the logical next essay and i just kind of shuffle them around like pieces on a board 
And I usually will end up with a good first essay and a good ending. And then just sort of shuffle things around and shuffle them again and then shuffle them again. So I've, you know, I've read through the whole thing 10 or 15 times by the time I have the order right. And then I go back and try to rewrite the thing as a single book, as opposed to just a stack of random essays. So, you know, I'll change. I, I mean, sometimes it's just, it's just office work. Like if I introduce somebody in chapter two, I don't have to introduce them again in chapter four. Things well, like that. Let me ask you this then. It, when you're doing this, um, Peter Jackson, the, the, the film director says, you know, deadlines are good for him because otherwise he would keep editing. He would keep working on the material. And sometimes it's better that someone says, Hey, stop, you're there. Uh, do you tend to want to keep going or do you have, are you able to, to hit a point where you're like, there it is. I've done it. I'm satisfied. Well, I, I, um, I don't know if I want to keep going. I mean, I want to, I want to finish, but, um, towards the end, I mean, it's just, I just go over every, I do probably edit more than I need to, and the danger there is you can overwork it. Um, I, cause I like to see the rough edges sometimes and, um, you know, leave some sentences just the way they came out, like the way they come out over coffee. And, um, so I can, I can overwork them. I'm capable of doing that. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you didn't have, if I didn't have a deadline, I'd probably still be working on my first essay. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad you had a deadline. So I read the book wrong. I should start over again. All right. But we, I did read the book. <laughs> you, you didn't read it wrong as long as you read it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I did read it and I actually enjoyed it uh, an awful lot. And what I, what I like about your style of writing is it's, it feels like in every man's or every person's style it feels like i can get together with you and go fishing have a beer and you're telling the stories that i probably told similar ones the one that spoke to me most was i'm a fishing guide and you were talking about uh -huh. being a failed guide uh which most of the time i feel the same <laughs> the same things i've only got about five years now uh but your guide the, dif stories, the difference guide. is the difference is i was a failed guide who quit guiding oh that was smart <laughs> that's a smart kind of guide but, but I wasn't making it as a writer. I, so I started off as a writer, then became a guide. I should have started the other way, probably. Oh, I don't know. I think you can start anywhere you want. Start wherever you feel like it. Uh, but, yeah. But, but it's funny. You were, in, in your article about guiding, which is later in the book, uh, I, it spoke to me because you were talking about how the guides wanted to tie knots for you all the time. And, yeah. And I'm the opposite. I'm happy when my clients tie their knots because I didn't start guiding until I was almost 50. And so when I tie knots, I would say about half the time the clients lose, lose their fish because I can't see the string so good anymore. <laughs> so very, very, was, I, that spoke to me. Yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's peculiar to steelhead and salmon guys. Yeah. And, and possibly to saltwater too, but uh, those guys just seem real persnickety about their, they're nuts, and I think it's just because it's so um, hard to hook a steelhead or a salmon 
Well, they, they probably had clients lose so many fish to bad knots. They just like, let me just do it myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a this is a point that Clay and I go back and forth on when we talk about your actual fishing. Is that you know the steelhead and and the salmon the strike can be yeah so infrequent. Your chance when it comes, you want everything to be in place. And the the you know when you talk about the guy lose uh, Vince losing the the steelhead yeah and yeah. Uh, yeah and coming back with the pigtail uh and the guy just hanging his head like so despondent uh it's just you know absolute crusher uh clay he, he can't buy those expensive swim baits those 200 dollars swim baits because he says he's only capable of a dollar 25 knot that's so. my that's my budget my not budget so <laughs> yeah yeah so uh you know you want it to, you, you do want it to go right uh but uh we we talked about that's one of my favorite things about you as a fisherman is that you're, you have such an enormous range and that you love to go just pop bluegill one after another, one after another, one after another. And, you know, I was talking about your musky fishing with clay and saying how, you know, John could still enjoy fishing, even if he doesn't get fish. I mean, he went to Scotland for a week and I don't think you even had a strike. You fished the nope. hell out of it. And, uh, you, you did enjoy it. Now, I, granted, you probably would have enjoyed it more <laughs> had you, had you gotten into some fish, but uh, you're not afraid of either end of that spectrum. Well, no. I mean, um, the guys who always have to catch a lot of fish just don't seem happy to me. Yes. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, they're so competitive. I don't know who they're competing with, but they get so competitive that they just, they don't seem to be having fun. It's not the kind of fun I want to have. Well, you, you talk about the fish counters and, and with a you know bit of a disparaging tone, it's, uh, and it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I like to pan fish. I'm a big pan fisher because I'm kind of a spaz and I have a hard time sitting still. But on the other hand, um, I will go out and you know, plug away all day. And if I, even if I get even one strike, I'm a happy guy. Sure, I'm, I'm uh, you know, willing to, to be happy even if I don't get that strike. But uh, ultimately, it does come down to, you know, I'm after that, and I'd like to get it. Um, but there's something about having a pond full of bluegill, and, and like right now, I'm, I'm addicted to the hopper dropper. And I was out the other day. I have a pond I share with the neighbor right here on my property. And, uh, boy, I just laughing myself to death. Those bluegills just coming up one after another, hitting that darn thing. I couldn't, couldn't hook many of them, but man, just watching them just bam, bam, bam. You know, there's just something about it when it goes right. And you, you get into that run of strikes that's, uh, offsets those long days, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I, I like it when you get two or three fish fighting over your fly. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, one, one right after another, I, you know, but what makes it so approachable to me? See, I ain't ever caught a trout on a fly. I ain't ever fished in a stream for trout with a fly. And I still adore your writing. I love the, the stories. I can identify with them. Um, I want to do it. I want to try it. Um, but it's just amazing, sir, that how big an influence your writings have, have come over my fishing, um, in that, uh, I've, I've just discovered so many things about myself and what I'm doing and, and a either way to express why, why the hell I'm out there waving a, you know, standing in a, in a river, waving a stick in the air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
you know, if it's just about the fish, it just seems to, maybe it's just because I'm a writer. Um, the, the, the one advantage a writer has over a normal fisherman is when a trip goes right in the crapper, it could still be a good story. You know, it may not be, it may not be fun while it's happening, but if you can see the humor in it, when you get home, you know, that, that, that trip where the, the, uh, you know, the airline loses your luggage and the float planes can't fly because of the weather. And the, then you get there and the fish aren't biting and the boat leaks. Um, it's, it's not fun, but when you get home and get a little distance on it, you go, yeah, this is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all know those well, failed trips. That's for sure. <laughs> so, well, yeah. But anyway, John, with your new book, All the Time in the World, are you, will you be touring with this? Will you be going uh, around signing? Well, yeah, I've done some of that. Um, you know, since COVID, I can't remember which book it was. I had a book come out right when COVID hit. And um, the publisher, Simon & Schuster, we did a lot of uh, stuff on Zoom. Um, and you just you couldn't do any of that stuff live because people were afraid of dying. And, sure. I don't, you know, I don't expect people to come to my book signing and risk their life. But... Um, a lot of that stuff just went online and after COVID they realized we don't have to put this guy on an airplane, fly him to a city, put him up in a hotel, get him a driver to take him where he needs to be. You can't trust uh, writers in strange cities. No. All, all kinds of, uh, <laughs> all kinds of stories of uh, writers going on book tour and, hitting the first bar in the first city and never being seen again. Sounds like a good day. <laughs> so, I mean, they spend a lot of money mm -hmm. on a book tour. And um, I don't, I never thought they, they sold enough books to, uh, to justify it. But, um, you know, my editor said, well, we, you know, we, we depend on, we sell some books. We depend on the buzz to attract attention I don't know, but they just, they don't do that anymore. Wow. wow. That that's interesting. And I hope they went ahead and the money they saved, not sending you on tour. I hope they're putting <laughs> it back into your travels. Well, no, they're putting it back into, they're putting it back into their, uh, their, their pockets. Uh, their, their cor yeah. their corporate officers and all that. Well, that's yeah. funny. Well, incidentally, John, you brought up COVID. My wife has COVID right now. I just got a text from her. A couple hours ago, I'm at work, and I don't want to go home. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to sit here and work on your book some more. Uh, but I'm, I'm so excited about this book. Um, the first chapter I read uh, was about licenses in this book. I, I love that you were collecting your licenses in that. My, when I read the first couple of lines, I'm like, can you even collect licenses anymore? And then, of course, you, you, it was like four lines later, you caught up to my brain where I was going with that. Do you still print off your licenses? Yeah, I, I save them. Yeah. Um, I've never done anything with them, but I've got a big manila envelope. It's about six inches thick now, and I just I just save them. I don't know why. Me too. Me too. I go ahead and print them off. I mean, I, I keep the paper copy with me, but uh, the few times I ever have to show, I just show them on my cell phone. And, of course, being fishing, 
uh, last spring, the one time I did get checked, um, I didn't have my paper with me, and somehow my important uh, paper's picture file was did not have my license in it. They had to, the warden had to look it up on his computer, but he's like, oh, you're all right. He goes, just give me your ID, and we can take care of this on the computer. He goes, I'm not worried about you guys. But, uh, yeah, I, I've got my little envelope. Uh, too not not as thick as yours but there's something about keeping hold of them you, you fantasize maybe one day you'll get them out and look through them or maybe your posterity will look through them or something like that i don't know but uh there is something about adding to that envelope for sure yeah yeah i mean i just hate to throw them away and i don't i don't really even know when i started doing that but uh, but judging by the thickness of the envelope it was quite a while ago <laughs> Well, you um, you were modestly saying I only add five or six permits a year. Where, well, that's actually that's actually true. Yeah. Well, I I only add a couple a year because I'm I'm not a well traveled fisherman like you are. But I do have some some I've got like I've got my New Hampshire license. I got when I went to fish with Clay. But uh, getting back to that chapter licenses, one of my f- little personal favorite things about your writing is the way you talk about Kansas and Kansans and your ill-fated guard trip out here and some of the people you met and in licenses, you talk about going to buy your license. And Full the guy disclosure, the, the crappie hippies from Kansas. That's the- <laughs> Yes, I am from Kansas. Uh, I don't know if um, you remember, but the, yeah, I, um, so I've, I've taken this guard thing to heart and we maybe can talk about that later, but uh, the guy trying to sell you the, the, his own uh, stinky bait, catfish formula in a jar and and the fact that you can't even uh bow out with grace and say well i'm going fly fishing and all that and he's like well you can use it as fly dip then and you can you know <laughs> it just it is so classic uh capturing what it's like around here and and uh you are um uh, brutally observant about certain things like uh, i can't remember which book is in where you talk about that trip to come catch the gar but Kansas that put a stick in a gar's mouth and throw it back in the water because it's a funny way to kill them and and things like that that irritate the living heck out yeah. of me. Um, I don't admire that type of behavior. That and I'm glad you kind of tell all about this place. But um, I'm open one day if all the stars align and all my dreams come true. I mean they're starting to right now. Um, I'd have you out here because my friend Jeff and I. You're a big reason that we got down and we decided to teach ourselves how to catch these carp on a fly. And uh, we went out and figured it out pretty, pretty good. Um, and we can get into the technical stuff. Um, but I also have um, this fishing we do for these white bass and wipers. And I don't know if that's ever been um, anything you've even heard of, but when they run in the spring, they're a great stream fish to go and fish for. And I think you would enjoy the heck out of that, too. Yeah, we used to catch white bass when I was a kid back in Midwest, but um, I have never caught wipers. Got them out here. And, oh, do you? Uh, yeah, in a, in a few of the big reservoirs out, uh, out on the east, eastern plains. Um, I don't know. It's just never. It's never, I don't know. I don't know much about it. I know they're a good fly rod fish at certain times of year. And um, I just, I, I just never gone after it that hard, but I should. Put it on your list. 
I have, I have a question referring back to your uh, your flies and the scents. Have you ever dipped a fly in a scent before? I think when when scents first came out, I may have tried it. I don't remember, but it you know I kind of um, when new stuff comes out, I'm I'm sometimes I try it if it sounds interesting. It's it's um, here if I remember the. The reg's right. I think it's considered bait. Oh, it, oh really? de- it depends on the state you're in. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah, could be. yeah, it does. Yep. Yeah, we um, we do a lot of fly fishing. Uh, we actually use a lot of flies through, through ice fishing. And I uh-huh. have found that if you take like a woolly bugger or a fluffy, anything kind of big that can soak up some oils and junk and dip them in a can of sardines with a dropper, mm-hmm. you can you can ice fish for... Uh, for lake trout, and that scent will bring the fish into your into your lure, or into your uh, fly. So that's my only time I've dipped a fly. Was some, <laughs> sometime in my life I've tried most things. I've I, I've always kind of wanted to try uh, spearing pike through the ice, but uh, I've never done that. You should totally do it. Yeah, you got time left. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> All the time in the world. All the time in the world. That's right. This is this is exciting, John. Uh, so I was I was the other thing I was loving your book, your Labrador, Labrador Ned's Cove uh, <laughs> chapter really kind of got me because I love the kind of regional language, and my my family immigrated to the United States from from Newfoundland, so all uh-huh. this was speaking to me. I've never been there, but the Newfie language and that the. The talking, how you describe that in the book. Can you describe that a little bit? Well, it's, um, uh, that was, um, when I first went to this camp, I've been going to the same camp in Labrador for 20 some years. And, um, that guy's been there the whole time. And when I first met him, he met, he might as well have been speaking Gaelic. I couldn't understand a word he said. And over time, I've gotten to where I can penetrate the uh, the accent and get most things. And um, and and pick up some of the slang. Uh, an anchor is a gravel, and um, an armload of firewood is a yaffle. And yaffle. So you, you know, you have to. It almost is a separate language. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry it took me so long because the guy is hilarious. I mean, his stories are absolutely wonderful, and he's got the timing of, of a stand-up comic, but I just I couldn't understand him. So uh, I, I missed a lot. You remember how many, you wonder how many conversations you've had where you have no idea how funny he was being, and you just missed out on that opportunity. Well, I did, and he I don't know what he thought. He probably just thought I was dim-witted. <laughs> maybe, he thought, maybe he couldn't understand <laughs> you either. Maybe he's like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> I mean, at first, the first couple of times I went out with him, it was just pointing and grunting. Yeah, it works. And I, yeah, I mean, when you're doing something like fishing, it does. It's not that complicated. He'd, he'd, he'd basically just, um, he'd point at a fly, and I'd tie it on, and he'd point at the water, and I'd throw it out there. That's guiding. That's really the whole game right there. <laughs> so. Well, it is. I mean, if, you're, if your guy can, if your client can tie a fly on and cast... That that really is all you're 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 doing is just say well uh, no don't cast there cast over here. Well, especially especially in Labrador, I mean it's uh, 
it's not that complicated. The hard part about Labrador is just getting there. I was going to say you got to fly in, right? Oh God, yeah, you have to fly in, and you—I mean, it's you got to go to Montreal, and then you get on. It's just—it's just smaller and smaller airplanes. Um, Till you're hang gliding in, <laughs> and and weirder and weirder schedules, and um, you know, finally you get on a plane with pontoons, and you're just about there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've I, I'm reading that, and I I've been blessed to get to go up north uh, into manitoba and uh, that's one place where i really connect with your writings is the whole thing about float planes and um, the um, things that happen on the float planes i love the the chapter about um, where the guy takes off and you're just sure he's you know he hasn't got enough enough oh man lift over the trees and then he turns the plane clear on its side and goes around the bend and then levels out and up. I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's a float plane pilot for sure. I, uh, you know, I don't want to fill this up with my stories, but, uh, I've got a couple too. That's, uh, we're real toe curlers, uh, you know, so yeah, it's, it's something else. Well, that guy was, um, um, <laughs> probably shouldn't bring this up, but you he should. died in a plane crash. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> But uh, I don't think it was, I don't think he was hot dogging. I think they, they, they said they thought it was either a catastrophic failure of the plane or, uh, or he had, you know, like a massive heart attack or something. Yeah. But yeah. he was wonderful. He, he could do, he could do stuff with that plane that I just didn't think could be done. Well, it's, it's, you know, one of those things I always kept telling myself, so he wouldn't be doing it. He's in this plane too, so he wouldn't be doing it unless he really, really thought he could do it. Because yeah, we're you know he he's not sending us up there; he's up there with us. So we're we're going down. Um, you know, he's going down too. I love that um, uh, phrase. Uh, oh gosh, now I thought I had the guy's name in my in my mind, and it slipped. But he said, "Told you, it's better to be on the ground wishing you were in the air than in the air wishing you were on the ground." That's yeah, prof- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Ruben. Ruben, yes. Um, well, you know the float plane guys. That's a, that is a whole subculture, and, definitely. Um, and they're you know they're not there because they love fishing. They're there because they love flying. Right on. So, um, uh, Ruben actually the, about the second or third time I flew with him he finally confessed that uh, he said you know uh, fishermen are just cargo <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just here because i, I want to fly just moving you around yeah, yeah 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 but you know these guys they 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 understand how it works you know because i went i asked i think it was reuben i said why is it that when you fly up a valley you're always hugging one side or the other one side of the valley or the other and he said, well, it's because if you, if something happens and you have to turn around, you need room to bank. And he said, if you're in the middle of the valley and you need to bank, you're going to hit one wall or the other. But if you're tight to one side, you might have to <laughs> turn around. But that's, that's how those guys, they just seem to be looking out the window. But they are calculating constantly, well, if this happens... 
where do I need to be to do what I'll need to do to get out of it? Well, well it's, always, yeah. <laughs> it's always good to have that plan B, that's for sure. <laughs> John, you got another question for him? Oh, oh I've got all John, kinds of stuff. The crappy hippie I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd so love confusing. to talk about. I, um, uh, you said when we interviewed you in 2020, uh, Dumb Luck and the Kindness of Strangers was the book, and um, you were talking about how your you would like to think that your books get better each one as you go along. And I'm here to read. Yeah. I didn't say, I didn't say that was true. I said, I'd like to think, (laughs) well, you can go on thinking it because as far as I'm concerned, it is true in that the depth of your experience and both your fishing and your writing, um, enriches each book more and more and more. I mean, it's the skills and stuff are there in the early books but the richness and the uh, observational uh, depth and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I thought I've, I've read a flat rod of your own six times and I didn't think anything, you know, could top it. And yet, you know, and I don't really put them in a bind, you know, a, a stack like that, but mm-hmm. this last book, this book uh, really got hold of me for a lot of reasons. First of all, I've read enough of your stuff that I, you know, I, I, I seem to, you know, it's like, it's like, um, God, I'm babbling, but it's like what this guy here on the back, Pete Fromm says, it's just like, I never met John Girock in person, but after reading him, I believe I've camped with him, fished with him, laughed with him. It's, it's so, um, fun to pick up in the next book. What, you know, went on in the book previously, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, I, I just love the the some of these essays in this book so very much, and I just love you know there's your uh, skill with the basic mechanics of writing, um, but the richness of the experience just seems to continue to increase, and your ease and deftness uh, with the material just seems to increase with every book. Well, that's the hope. Um, I'm glad to hear you think so. <laughs> well i yeah that's not much of a question that's you know but clay gave me a permission to kind of gush a little and be be a fan because that's what i am this book be my be my guest <laughs> okay <laughs> because this book broke my uh is my lucky 14 uh, i got 14 of them now and and my, my wife and my daughter they have the list of the ones i got and the ones i don't got and um uh so i, I intend to keep going but um um, it, it's, it's wonderful in so many ways. Um, I, I don't want to go on and on, like and turn this into a, a one-on-one lit class, but, uh, for example, the green cabin, I just love the way it's structured. I love the way you use the one cabin to represent, you know, like happiness and the positive side of things and fishing. And then we get this very brief, very kind of, uh, cold uh almost icy assessment of asshole pool and that cabin so we have this wonderful contrast between these two cabins and how one is just you know teeming with joy with life and the complexity of the run and how you fish it and your spot where you get out and take assessment of what the fishing has been that day and and uh um you you take a basic technique like that and you fill it up in your own way that is just beyond appealing 
Um, that's the kind of thing to me that when we say, oh, you know, what's better or what, you know, what's changed is, you know, in a lot of words, that's where it's at for me. Well, it's, you know, stuff like that. I know what amazes me is people who can do that in fiction Mm. where it's all basically a lot of times it isn't all made up, you know, a novelist. We all know what's told me. He said, you know, you might as well, you might as well use the people, you know, as characters because they're going to think you did anyway, and they're going to hate you for it. (laughs) Perfect. But that was, I think that I don't always know exactly what I'm doing, but I think I just wanted to use the phrase assholes pool because that's, that's what it's called. That's what we all know it as for obvious reasons. Right. Guy thinks he owns more of the water than he does. And, uh, I, I may have just wanted to shoehorn that in and then, you know, had to do the technical stuff. And, you know, I find it's the more you understate something, the more it stands out. It's a, it's a, um, it's a mistake beginners writers, writers make. Um, You think, well, if it's important, I have to hit it real hard. I have to write two pages about it. And actually, if it's important, the it one short paragraph should be plenty. I, I loved your, your Hemingway quote that uh, the more you leave out, the stronger yeah. a story becomes. And your flair for that sort of thing, uh, one of my favorite lines is in, um, uh, it's at the chapter of, yeah, all all the all the time in the world of of uh, uh, about uh, your trip over the continental divide, and where you say it is in the nature of rivers to start small. Now yeah. that can either be profound or profoundly stupid. It depends on whether it's in the hands of someone that can make something out of that. You know, it, it's it's a wonderful in your hands. It is a wonderful statement because it just you just go instead of saying duh, you 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 sit there and go. You know, it, it, it just blows your mind that, yes, all these huge rivers start somewhere small. And it was just fascinating to me to have a story about fishing the Colorado River where you can jump across it. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's full of little like six, seven inch brook trout. Well, you get a 10 inch brook trout up there, you don't want to have it mounted. <laughs> Sounds like New Hampshire fishing. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I see. I just this is just it. I'm just an old Kansas boy. All we got is put and take. You know, fake trout fishing where they'll go out in the cold weather. They'll throw some trout in some pond or lake. They'll tell everybody about it. Everybody will run out there, buy yeah. all their permits, spend all their money, get their bait, catch them out, and then whatever's left over perishes in the warm weather. And so there's no holdover. There's no carryover. Yeah. And uh, that's all we got. So, uh, but it's just amazing to me um, how much I can enjoy hearing about it when the teller is you. So, um, I don't know. I, like I say, I, I'm making a lot of a lot of statements. I, I can get into some questions, <laughs> some basic questions. <laughs> like maybe I, maybe we should reverse gears on this, and I should come out there. 
I have a study up on one of those reservoirs you got out in Colorado. We can meet there during wiper season, and I'll show you where they're at, and we'll figure them out and then uh, put you on one. Yeah, that might be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my, here's just a straight-up question then. Have you ever caught drum on a fly rod? Uh, no, I haven't, or or any other kind of rod either. Oh, really? Well, that's one of my favorite fish, and it's a trash fish to some, but like carpets being rehabilitated as a game fish and they are a heck of a game fish and when you go wiper fishing in these creeks around here you'll come across you'll get a chance at a drum or gar and that's one thing i love about river fishing in general is that when you get that hit at least around here in kansas you you just ain't sure what it's going to be yeah um yeah that's the one thing we don't have is uh, you you if you get a you get a strike you know what's what it is, whether you hook it or not. Yeah, you know yeah. your fish. Yeah, you know your fish. All right, John, we don't have a lot more. Uh, John Girak, we don't have a lot more time. Uh, so I want to I want to return to your book here one more time. The book is all the time in the world. It's available now anywhere you get books, so people can pick this up right now. And uh, congratulations, by the way, on getting this twenty twenty one books. Yeah. 21 books out. I mean, getting one book out, I think, is a minor miracle. 21. What a, what a career you've, you've built around these books. And uh, you kind of live a gifted life. What's it like getting to travel around and tell your stories? Well, I, I don't travel around and tell them. I travel around and get them. Get them. And then you tell them yeah. in the book. Yeah, I, fair. I, I tell them at my, my desk over the winter. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, I'll you know I'll just want to close out with one last one last praise. Um, <laughs> Fanboy time. Yeah. Well, I, it's just that reading about your love of rods and your love of bamboo and all that stuff has really made me aware of I had of how rods cast. I had this rod that I was told by this this you know uh, unfortunate person that gave it to me that it was custom made and you better not damage it and you better this and you better that and and long story short i ended up with it and i used it for quite a while and and you know relearning kind of how to fly cast and uh i i just never understood why i was never over fond of it and then i got a, a little six foot six and a half foot right mcgill just little old still had the old designations on it and stuff wow. when i took that out um and through this line that, that came with it. See, I come by a lot of my stuff, my gear by hook or by crook. It just kind of happens. Or I'll get it at a garage sale or what have you. But uh, uh, the feel and the, the way that line would perform on that rod. And I was like, okay, this is it. This is what they're talking about. When John Gearock talks about getting together with a bunch of bamboo rod enthusiasts and you're all just throwing them and you're saying, oh, this one casts this way or this one has a nice cast, you know, I was just like light bulb going on. I mean, I love that little rod now. I can't get enough fishing with that thing. I, I took that one precious custom-made fancy pants rod. I had a There was a kid down fishing on my pond. Uh, we share it with a neighbor. He was a friend of my neighbor's, and he's fishing with this fly rod that doesn't even have a tip on it. And I was yeah. like, wait a minute. I went back to the house. I got that fancy custom rod, and I gave it to him. I don't know if that's it was much of a gift, but he, he thought it was an improvement at least over a rod with no tip. So... 
I guess I think all... a rod. I think a rod with a tip would would be an improvement. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, hundred percent. Anyway, I I just I just want to say this has been been fantastic. Oh, I, like a dream come true for me. Um, it's 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 wonderful wonderful to meet you and um, best of luck in the future. You are at the height of your powers. Uh, you, when people talk about other people's books, like we just had a review uh, of Brian Archer's uh, The Meditative Fisherman. Uh, one of the, the our correspondent Todd Carrera that reviewed it said, you know, it's, it mentions mentioned some other writers, but you were in there. He says very he has a lot in common with John Gearock's writing, and I and I say when a man is being praised because, you know, and you're the one he's being compared to, um, that's that that's saying something. I think that's saying something. Well, you know, a lot of it's just I've been around forever. <laughs> well. You know, I, it's, 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 um, it's just, you're, it's just, you're an amazing writer. Cause I, I don't, I don't get this worked up over everything, but, uh, this is really, um, um, a special moment for me. So I appreciate y'all both clay and you, sir, let me come along and get in here and, and, and do a little talking with you. Well, my pleasure. And again, thank you, John Girak for the time today and your new book, all the time in the world. So until next time, follow the code of the fish nerds, spawn early and often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fried in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast.